The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello there, I'm Austin Bristow, and you're listening to On The List. For episode 37 on Friday, March 25th, I'm joined by Pitchlist writer and podcaster Chad Young. Chad, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me on, Austin. I'm, I'm super excited for this. Absolutely. I'm, I am pleased to have you. And for those of you who are joining us, perhaps for the first time, each week I am joined by a writer from our Pitcherlist staff. We talk baseball, discuss what they've been working on recently, and we like to do a mailbag session at the end where we answer your questions. So you can send those questions directly to me on Twitter. I am at Bristowski, or better yet, you can hop into our PL Plus Discord server where I ask for these questions every week. Now, Chad, where can the people find you on Twitter? Uh, it's a very, very simple at Chad Young. It's uh, so hard easy. to get wrong. And yeah. uh, young, young is spelled like the word. So you shouldn't, nobody should mess it up. I'm going to go ahead and just toss it to you with a nice open-ended question here. People really are here to get to know the man behind the byline. So just tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, this is this is the hardest question I'm going to get on the whole this whole conversation. Oh yeah, it always Any is. podcast I ever go on, it's like just tell me about you. Uh and yeah, that's, so, unfortunately, that's the entirety of this podcast. That's yeah, the whole the, the point. Specific questions, the specific questions I can answer, but this one, it's like hard. How do I summarize myself? But uh I am uh I'm a father of two. Uh, I live in Seattle with my wife and our kids and our dog. Um, I'm well. I live in Seattle, and I, I've been in Seattle for over a decade now, and it very much feels like home. But uh, you know, we, we don't have video except for Austin. But I'm wearing my my Cleveland Cavaliers shirt because uh, Cleveland is still where where my heart is. I grew up in Cleveland. Was there from when I was born until I went to college and. Then never went back. So as much as I say it's where my heart <laughs> is, it, it was never enough to draw me back home. Um, lived in Chicago for a while and then moved out to Seattle and have, have really settled here. Um, as you mentioned, I, I write for Pitcherlist. I also write for Fangraphs. Uh, and then I host the Keep or Cut podcast focused on keeper leagues. And, and the, the, the background of that, sort of how I got into all this, is through Auto New which we can talk more about later. I don't know how familiar you are with Auto New, but it's uh it is to to me still the best way to play fantasy baseball, but I'm 
extremely biased in that. So that sounds like a writer from Fangraphs. The answer they would give is it's the best. It's the best fantasy baseball. It's the one hosted by Fangraphs. Yeah, you know? it is the one hosted by Fangraphs. <laughs> but the, the 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 full background on that is uh, auto, I, I helped create Autonew. Um, right. So that's uh, Niv Shah, who's the guy who runs Autonew. Uh, Niv and I went to high school together and have been friends for a, a lot of years now, <laughs> too many years. Um, but about, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago, something like that, Niv and I and another one of our good friends from high school, a guy named Jeff, basically were like, fantasy baseball is super fun. We really like it. But this whole idea of like, we're going to do a snake draft. You're going to have 20 players and then you're going to like count these stats and like it just didn't it didn't sit well with i don't know for us like we had it was like shortly after moneyball the the book not the movie shortly after moneyball had come out uh we had read that and as you know growing up in cleveland like cleveland in the in the 90s into the early 2000s was finding ways to develop young players and then signing them to long-term contracts and then trading away guys to bring in more prospects. And so like, there was this whole thing about how do you, how do you build when you can't compete with, you know, with New York or, or someone like that on, on salaries. And so it was like, how do we build an, a fantasy league that replicates what, you know, uh, the GM of a real team does. And, and so we designed it um, really just to be a league for us and our friends to play in. And Niv is the one who like, he's a programmer and he's, he's a product manager and he knows how to build this stuff. And he was like, like, it started with like, we, we hosted it on Yahoo, but Yahoo couldn't support us. So Niv built a website to like manage our rosters and do some other stuff. And then he was like, then he had to build something for us to handle waivers and auctions because the way we were doing waivers and auctions didn't really work. And then he had to build something to handle trades. And then he was like, I've almost built this thing and like the 12 of us love this. So if the 12 of us love it, there's probably other people who would like it too. Maybe we should, maybe we should do something about that. And so he took off with it. And then when he partnered with Fangraphs, that's when I started writing was Fangraphs was like, this is super cool. We need somebody to write about it. Who actually knows enough about it and can write about it. And it was like, well, there's like 12 of us. So let me ask. (laughs) There's literally no one else. And so I jumped in and, and did that for a while. Um, and so, yeah, it's my, my bias towards it is not just that I write for fan graphs and it's hosted there. It is also, um, it goes, you've much been there for that. the conception and the whole way through it. I, I imagine yeah. it's a very strange kind of uh, strange, uh, experience to have just basically your home league in a very unique setup to be to become so popular and so widespread and well-known it's, it's it gotta be, it's a bit surreal. It, it totally is. And so, uh, auto new has, there's a, an auto new slack. That's something like the, the pitchless discord community, but it's, it's not as big. Um, but even there it's a, like, it's just, there's all these people spending all this time talking about strategy and what works and what doesn't. And I was like, this is so strange. Cause like, I was doing this literally by myself for for years because the only other people I could talk to about it were the other people in my yeah. league because it was the only league. It's like, I'm not going to talk to them about my strategy. <laughs> I don't want yeah. them to know what I'm doing. And now also there's like a whole community around it and like 
when I started at Fangraphs, um, Niv got connected with Fangraphs through Eno Saris, and who was the fantasy editor there at the time. And so Eno was the one who brought me in and was like, yes, you should write about this. And so like, in addition to watching Otter New Rise, it's like Eno has become such a big figure in the fantasy community. And like oh, for sure. that started from there. And so it's like this weird thing where like, I don't know, it, it, it is surreal. Surreal is a good word for it. It's just like, I don't understand how this is happening. What, like, why does Austin want to interview me on the show? And it's really because 17 years ago, my friends and I were like, the fantasy baseball that exists is stupid. Let's make something better. And, and, now, <laughs> and now here we are. And it worked clearly. And it so worked. That's kind of fantastic. Of this, it's like the the origin story of Chad Young, the sports writer, sort of thing. That's that's so cool that it comes from such in such like humble roots of just this is me and my friends. And then I started writing about because I feel like most often. It, so I've done a few of these and it feels like most often it's something along the lines of I've always been really interested. I started writing on sort of this really small blog that maybe I started myself and then saw that the, the pitch list was hiring, put it in and here we are sort of thing. It's, so it's it's interesting to get a very different perspective of I didn't think that this is going to be something I would be doing, but here I am sort of thing. Yeah, not not it was never part of the plan. It was never like I, it just was somebody needed to do it. I knew a lot about it. Um, I, I was a journalism major in undergrad, so I, I have a, a background in writing and I am able to write. But it was like, all right, I'll go do this. Why not? That's awesome. Gotta love it. Now, from Cleveland, you've got the Cavaliers uh shirt there now is it safe to assume you are a guardians fan then yeah definitely uh they're they are my my son so my son is eight and he likes to ask all these like this team or that team do you like that team or this team and he'll like do it for like he'll do it for you know baseball teams he'll be like oh do you like the white Sox or the cubs do you like the cubs or the mariners do you like like but then he'll ask me across sports and so he'll be like huh? is you, do you like the Houston Astros or the Tennessee Titans. And it's like, I, how am I supposed to compare that? I don't, I don't really I mean, like either of those teams. Well, so in that case, it's in cast, that case, you got to take the Titans. I mean, <laughs> it's just, a, it's a weird one, but, it, but it does always lead to this, like among my teams, among the teams that I cheer for, he can, he can push me. It's like, all right, Cavs or guardians. It's like, Oh, mm. that's actually really hard. Um, but the guardians are, the Guardians are are my favorite. They're the b- baseball was sort of my my first love in the sports world, and um, has never really gone away. So, whatever the team name is, I'm happy they changed it, and I'll cheer for them regardless because they've they've been there from the beginning for me. Absolutely. Now, I I'm just gonna skip ahead real quick. We did get a really good question from one of our uh, one of our Discord. Folks here, uh, Justin Redler, one of our colleagues on the staff, was asking what your thoughts were actually on the new Guardians name, and what name would you have uh, gone with if you had had the chance? So, the name has grown on me a little bit. 
when they first announced it, I was sort of, well, let me take a step back. They needed to change the name and I'm very glad they did. And so they could have named them like the poops. And I would have been like, Hey, <laughs> at least it's not what it was. So I, I, I'm happy. Um, I'm very happy with it. When they first announced it, it wasn't my first choice. I, I would have gone with the spiders. Um, yep. I love the tie to the history of baseball in Cleveland. And, you know, there's all these people like, people like, oh, it's such a like, it's like a silly nickname. It's not, and it's like, yeah, I get that. It's a little silly, but that's fun. That's good. It's like, I love like the minor league nicknames that all these teams have now. And people yes. are like, we don't want to be like a cheesy minor league. I'm like, yeah, we do. Why would we not want to be a cheesy minor league team? That's awesome. Um, but on top of that, I think you could have done some really cool stuff with, with logos and with brand identity around spiders. Oh, for um, sure. you know, there's, there's the college, right? Richmond is the spiders, but like, that's it. Other than that, it's a totally unowned brand in, in pro sports. And so you had this opportunity to, to do something unique. Guardians meets that too. Uh, the issue I have with guardians is the, so the connection to the city is there is this there's this bridge that is right outside um I almost blanked on the name Progressive Field. Yeah, I still want to call it <laughs> Jacobs Field, which it isn't. But uh right outside Progressive Field, there is this bridge. And it's a famous bridge in Cleveland and like everyone knows it. It goes from like fine. It has these statues on it, these like old art deco statues that are apparently called the Guardians of Transportation or the Guard something like that. And the statues are, in fact, somewhat iconic for the city. Like anybody who's from Cleveland sees an image of those, recognizes them. They're one of the first shots in the movie Major League. Like at the beginning sure. of Major League, they're showing all these shots to say, like, got it. If you had asked literally anyone in the city of Cleveland 12 months ago what the name of those statues were, nobody knew. Nobody cared. Like it was just like they're on the bridge. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> Um, the, I don't even know that I knew they had a name, ones. the bridge statues. So like this whole idea of like, we're tying into this iconic thing of the city because they're the guardians and we're the guardians. It's like, eh, okay. That's a little forced. Um, so, but that said, you know, among the things I liked about the, the spiders, one of the big ones was that it was unique and guardians is unique. And sure. so from that perspective, I, I'm, I'm a fan. I like that piece of it. And, you know, it wasn't my first choice. There is no chance that like six months from now, I care. <laughs> like I'll, it'll just be the name of my team. Just yeah. Like any other. And I think that's going to be the case for almost everyone. I think it is the most inoffensive of the options that I saw as like, uh, like final choice. And so I think at the end of the day, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, sure. Why not? Sort of thing. It's, it's not spectacular by any means, but it's extremely safe. Yeah, it is. And it, it's, it's fine. It's a totally fine name. Yeah. And it's, the reality it is, is fine. Trademark. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. And like, you know, when this came, when it, when it first got announced, people were like, I don't know. It's so boring, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, we're really going to talk about this when like, I don't know. There's there a team are two in Denver teams named like, after socks. 
Right. We have multiple teams named after Sox. We have three because the Reds are named after Sox too. They just don't have the word in there anymore. And then you got like the team in Colorado is like, there's mountains, Rockies. Yeah. Okay, good. The team in Los Angeles is named for something that has nothing to do with Los Angeles. Like <laughs> got the Dodgers, they're, they're not dodging anything. It's traffic, but like the other team in Los not... Angeles just took the name of the city. Right. We are the angels, angels, <laughs> the so angels, like, angels, <laughs> right? I mean, the Philadelphia, they couldn't even come up with a real word. They just shortened their name of their city. So like all of these names are stupid and it's fine. It doesn't matter because like, that's not, that isn't what we cheer for. And that isn't what, like what we identify with. And so from that perspective, it's like, just pick something that isn't actively offensive yeah. and we'll be good to go. Uh, so you know, I'm trying to figure out like how I'm going to shorten it. Like, do we call them the guards? I've been calling oh, them the that, guards. That was my next know. question is how <laughs> how long before, you know, we call the Rockies the Rocks. Uh, it, how long before we're calling them the guards? Because it, it's you got to have a one syllable thing you can say. There's going to be something. And I, I think I think the guards is what will stick because I don't know what else would. Um, and it's unique enough and no one's yeah. no one will be confused as to what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I have used it, especially like on Twitter. If I'm writing like a long tweet and I need to save some characters, I call them the guards. And already everyone's like, yes, that is obviously the Guardians. What else could it possibly be? Yeah, because like you said, it while it may be a bit boring, it's unique enough. There aren't other like professional sports, even outside of baseball, where Guardians is a you yeah, know, not at all. moniker by any means. So I think it is spectacularly average just so middle of the road but it is fine there's nothing i, I will say wrong with i kind of wish i kind of wish they had gone to like the opposite extreme and done something ridiculous like this this is this is an even more ridiculous thing but there is a uh a summer college league team in my neighborhood in in west seattle that has been called the highline bears for years. Um, and Highline is just part of the neighborhood. Fine. Highline bears, boring, whatever they rebranded. So they rebranded as the dub C fish sticks. So dub C is W S E A for West Seattle and fish sticks is the fish sticks. And like, is it a ridiculous name? Yes. Did my son get me a t-shirt and beer koozie from them for my birthday this year? Because their logo is literally like a fish stick <laughs> and they're called the Dub C Fish Sticks. Yes, he did. And do I love That's that shirt? Yes, I do. So like I would have loved for them to have gone with something like over the top silly like a minor league team does. But they were they were never going to do that. Sure. It, yeah. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. I was talking with Andrew uh, just a couple weeks ago on uh, minor league team. Formerly affiliated with the Yankees is now the uh, Pizza Rats, and it's like that's so fun, that's so good. Yes. Give me weird, fun names because most names in uh, Major League Baseball of the thirty names we have are pretty boring. Also, I will say my least favorite part of the Guardians rebrand—they are sticking with red and blue. I really, really wish they had moved to something, anything else, because there's so much red and blue in baseball. There is, and I, I could, I can understand that. I think the the challenge I have with that, and th this is where my like nostalgia comes in, 
they've been red and blue for like a century. Yeah. Um, and so that is one where I felt like, like if they were, if it, you know, when you get expansion teams or a team that doesn't have that kind of history with their colors, like I love like, like I love what like the Diamondbacks and Rockies have done with their colors. They are unique and different. I think that that's good for the sport to have that variety. And so I can understand that, but I don't know. There wasn't anything like distinctly Cleveland they could have done. Like there wasn't anything that would have like stood out. And I, and I think maintaining that tie to the team's history, I, I was in favor of that. I, had they picked something fun, that would have been fun too. But I'm, I have no problem with them keeping the, the sort of broader brand similar. Yeah, understandable. I mean, I feel like if they if they went with the spiders, they could have done a red and black vibe. But I mean, with the guardians, you can do literally any colors you want, and so it makes sense to stick with the familiar color palette that everyone is, you know used to at this point now growing up as a cleveland baseball fan was there any one player that you found yourself drawn to any favorite player throughout the years yeah i mean i so i'm i'm old enough that growing up at first was in the you know in the era of major league right like major league came out in like 89 i think i was seven years old so I have I have vivid memories of teams where like the best players were Corey Snyder, Joe Carter before he you know became a World Series hero, guys like that. Um, but it was really those mid '90s teams when you know '95 and '97 they went to the World Series. They had all these great players coming up. Those were the teams that sort of cemented my my relationship with the team and the sport. And um, Manny Ramirez is the guy who I just have always. Like he's the one guy who, like, when he left, I was like, "Well, I guess I'm kind of a Red Sox fan now." Like, I yeah. just wanted to sort of cheer for them because, like, I just I loved him. I loved the way he played. I loved how much fun he always seemed like he was having. Um, you know, th- there's this this moment from the '95 season. So, it's just a, as a Cleveland baseball fan who was old enough to remember before the Jacobs Field era, before the team got got good. Um, you know, '94 was this like this appetizer like the team was good but they they were people in cleveland like to talk about how they got robbed of a postseason appearance but they weren't leading the division when the season ended they were going to catch the white Sox. the white Sox were like but they weren't gonna they weren't leading the division at that time um but 95 was this like moment right they not only was that they win the division they won 100 games in a shortened season and in the middle of that season it was i looked it up today to make sure i had this right it was july 16th of 95 uh, the A's were in town, and Manny Ramirez hit a walk-off grand slam off Dennis Eckersley. Now, this is late career Dennis Eckersley. This isn't like you sure. know winning Cy Young Award Dennis Eckersley, but as like a, a 13-year-old kid at that time, I had spent my whole life cheering for this horrendous team, and here they are losing a game to a to a elite closer one of the best closers in the history of the game is out there and this kid right because manny was like 22 or something at the time this kid steps up and just crushes one like halfway up the bleachers and left um and the cameras as eckersley's walking off the mound the cameras catch eckersley saying 
in a super exaggerated way, the word wow. Just like you can read his lips. He just goes, wow. And you're like, that's so cool. okay, this guy's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And that's his reaction. And I was just like, that was it for me. That was like just such a huge, huge moment for me. Um, and right around, this is like such a weird moment in time. But like right around that same time, my, I got internet for like the first time and we had AOL and I had to pick an AOL screen name and my AOL screen name was my initials CHY and the numbers of my two favorite players CHY924 for Carlos Baerga and Manny Ramirez that's so, so good. like and to this day like if I have to use a username on a site um I either just use my name like I do on Twitter and stuff like that like the, the discord I do that too or I use CHY924 which is still a tie back to Carlos Baerga and Manny Ramirez and yeah, Manny, I just, I, I loved everything about him. That's so fun. Yeah, he's, I mean, Manny is Manny. There's, yeah. it, it is a undeniable presence on and off the field of just, no matter what kind of uh, any controversy that came along in his career, he he always seemed like he was having fun playing the game of baseball. And I think that's, one of the best things that a superstar like him can do for the sport is to just have a good time. Yeah. He just, he always seemed like he was having a blast and he like, I, you know, he also, he had this reputation, I think is like not being a particularly smart player because he would do things like, I, I like I vividly remember him jumping at the wall like he was going to pull back a home run on a ball to right field in Cleveland that bounced on the warning track and like he would do <laughs> stuff like that but I think in some of those cases he was like I overran this I might as well just jump like what difference does it make at this point and I think he was also like you could you could see him strategizing from at bat to at bat like I don't think there were many smarter hitters than him in the game uh, and like it just, it, it was so impressive. Like, again, even as a 13-year-old, you could see that he was steps ahead of everyone else when he first came up, that he just knew how to hit, that he knew how to, like, read the pitcher, read the pitch, read the situation, understand what was coming, and just smash the baseball. Um, yeah. And it's just, yeah, you're that good, you're having that much fun, and, man, nothing better. Gotta love it. He's definitely, uh, definitely one of the, best hitters in recent memory and easily one of the most entertaining players for sure. Now we talked about your uh, kind of introduction to fantasy baseball and creating Adenu as we now know it. So we're very aware that's your favorite league. Understandable, but uh, how many le leagues do you play in otherwise? Um, do you have any kind of thing that you try and stay away from since we already are kind of familiar with what you do prefer? Uh, so up until, so I, I'm, I am playing you. You asked me this question earlier and I was like, Oh man, I'm gonna have to go count. Cause I actually didn't know how many. And my, my <laughs> wife is in the other room and I know, I know she doesn't know how many leagues I play in. So oh, no. uh, hopefully she's near this, but uh, I play, I'm going to be in 13 leagues this year. Um, six of those are auto new leagues. Uh, in addition to the auto new leagues, one of those auto new leagues is a keeper cut listener league. We're also doing two other keeper cut listener leagues. Um, I'm in a longstanding, another sort of longstanding home league that's not auto new, but it's actually a very similar style. 
Um, and then my my sort of then I've been a dynasty league. There's a pitcherless community dynasty league that um you, some of the questions you got in the pitcherless plus Discord were people like, "Why won't you trade me this guy? What what's going on?" It's so like that's because of that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then I've got my my four redraft leagues I'm in this year. I'm doing TGFBI for the second year in a row. Um, I guess three redraft leagues. TGFBI, a pitcherless staff league, and there's a pitcherless podcast league that I'm doing. So those are my leagues. Um, in terms of what I stay away from, I mean, I I really like keeper leagues and I really like auctions. And so I tend mm-hmm. to only do leagues that are auctions or keeper leagues. Uh, I make an exception for the pitcherless staff leagues and the podcast league and TGFBI. That's basically it. Everything else is uh, a keeper league. And some of them are drafts. Like the, the keeper cut listener leagues are drafts, not not auctions. Um, the dynasty league is a draft, not auction. But everything else is auctions. Almost sure. everything is keeper leagues. Uh, I just, I, I love that like long-term planning aspect. Um, and other than that one dynasty league, they are, they are keeper leagues and not dynasty leagues. And I think it's like, for me, that's a very important distinction. Cause actually, um, one of the things I dislike about true dynasty leagues is there's very little decision-making on, on value of players. Right. And I think one yeah. of the big challenges a major league team has is, and like, so a, a great example of this is what happened with the, with Atlanta this off season. And I think there's some real there's some real reasons to be frustrated with Atlanta's lack of loyalty to Freddie Freeman, but let's for just a moment, take the loyalty out of it and look at the situation they were in where they had to decide what they were doing long-term at first base. And in a, in, in, if major league baseball worked like a dynasty fantasy league, you just keep Freddie Freeman. He's free. You have him. just keep him. The thing that makes, that makes this interesting is the economics of it. We're now like, he's really expensive and he's, he's not young, he's not old, but he's, he's sort of in between and how much mm-hmm. do you want to commit to him and for how long and what's the cost going to be? Or you have this alternative where you could get this other guy who maybe right now isn't quite as good, although I think that's at least debatable, but the cost will be different and you have to give up prospects and players to do it, but you also could sign him to a different contract. You have to make like, I love those kinds of trade-offs and that kind of conversation and I think you lose that with true dynasty leagues. And so the thing I love about my auto new leagues, about any of my keeper leagues where there's any sort of a, a price or a salary or something associated with keeping players is it forces those kind of conversations. Sure. Whether it be a matter of you can keep this guy for X number of years and you have this much salary that you're able to work with and you're, you can uh, only have so many players that you have to balance things along those lines you uh that's definitely the draw as i understand it for auto new leagues it reminds me a lot of uh, out of the park baseball to be honest um but obviously in a much more uh much more community centric way where you're actually having to instead of you know just sitting at the computer by yourself one night and simming like three years worth of baseball, (laughs) you will actually, you know, (laughs) yeah, we, we've all done that. And it's a, it's a bad use of time to be honest, (laughs) but it's a very fun use of time. It is a fun use of time. Um, but instead you're able to 
become very familiar with the players that you are going to keep for at least a while, a few years, and determine, you know, how does this guy fit into my long-term plan? How can I best utilize the value that he has now? Where where do I see it going in the future, etc.? It's it is a very interesting and fascinating uh capacity to bring that those like you said salary aspects into fantasy baseball uh, i do have to say from what i understand of Adenu, i have not played myself um i've talked a good bit with uh dave Sherman, who is playing in Adenu, a couple different Adenu leagues i believe yeah and from what i understand there is a fair amount of commitment and you know time that one ought to put into managing an on a new team uh and so to hear you say that you have six and then a, a couple dynasty leagues on top of that and then a few redrafts um you doing okay buddy <laughs> i am uh it's it is a <laughs> lot um it's actually I, i've cut back a little bit um i had I added one new out of new league this year, but I got rid of two. Uh, so I'm, you know, in one of those was a league that um, just folded. It just, it, it got started last year and it never really got fully off the ground. The yeah. other was a league that's been around for a long time that I, I took over a team like two years ago or three years ago from a friend of mine. And then shortly after the draft this year, I was like, I should cut back. And he wanted this team back. I was like, great all yours have it back uh so I, I managed to cut back a little bit um which helps i also like i have for all these 13 leagues there are let's see one two three four five six seven eight nine like eight or nine of them maybe nine maybe even ten a lot of them have uh slow drafts or even slow auctions Okay. And so good. that helps a lot, right? It's, it's for sure. It's not that bad. It's like right now I have three drafts going on right now. So it's like, it's a lot right now, but it's, it's not that hard to just like every couple hours, take a quick peek, see where things stand and, and look away. What, what gets really challenging, especially with, you know, with two kids and family and stuff like that is like, how do I find time for multiple three hour auctions <laughs> over the course yeah. of like a month? Once the season starts, um, you know, I set aside time every night to set my lineups, but like I, I have a routine every night. Once the games end, I go through, I set my lineups, I check any ongoing auctions or player, you know, fab stuff I want to, I need to check. And like, that's my time for doing that. Um, it keeps it, it keeps it manageable. For sure. For sure. It's a, it's a definitely, I feel like it's a slippery slope. Um, for those of us who are, you know, sort of do this semi-professionally and it's, we, we want to make sure we stay plugged into the community and things like that, which involves a lot of playing the game and taking time to stay familiar with different player values and things along those lines. And then it's like, wait, I also have to, you know, feed myself and, you know, I hold down a a job that will allow me to feed myself. And also, I guess I can have maybe one or two other hobbies and maybe some friends will find out 
So you just have to have friends who play fantasy baseball. Exactly. <laughs> That's really the key. <laughs> <laughs> then you can talk to your friends and about it, and it's great. So yeah, I'm. I definitely understand that, and I've, I've very much had to limit myself. I think this year I'm doing five or six leagues. One of the two. Um, so more it's, than enough. <laughs> it's it's plenty. I unfortunately will not be representing on the list for the podcast league. It's just I want to make sure that I am not overloading myself. So on the list will not be represented this year, unfortunately. Well, maybe Miles will do it. That'd be nice. <laughs> Got to convince him. Exactly. Hey, Miles. Guess what, buddy? <laughs> Yeah. Miles, if you're listening, you're needed. Exactly. This is your call to action. Now, you've been on staff here at Pitcherless for a little while now, and in your time here or even across your time with Fangraphs as well, has there been a particular project that you've been notably proud of or really look back fondly? Yeah, I mean, I think the like long, long-term, long time ago, um, early, early on when I was writing for, for fan graphs about auto new, I was publishing, uh, values, not even rankings values for players. Cause it's all salary and auction based, um, including sure. explaining my process. This is how I'm creating these values. And, uh, it was a pretty, I guess I would say it was a pretty rudimentary process. Like it worked and it, it did what it needed to do, but it was, it was pretty basic. And, but I, what I really am sort of proud of with that more than anything else is that like people who are smarter and more talented than me took it and did more with it. And I think, you know, m- most notably, um, Justin Viber. And if you, if you play out a new and you're, you're not familiar with, with Justin, you, you should be, you should find him on Twitter. And I'm trying to remember what his, he is at Justin Viber. I could have figured that out. Justin, like the name Justin Viber, V-I-B-B-E-R. Find him on Twitter, find his Patreon. But he he is, does values in a very similar way to, I, to what I did based on sort of the same starting point. Um, but has built this whole tool called the surplus calculator that people who play out on new regularly use. It's like, you know, part of part of building this community around Auto New and building the the sort of fan base that it has was putting stuff out there that other people could do more with. And so that that's, I think, sort of the, you know, early part of my career, what I was sort of most, most proud of. Um, more recently, I mean, my, my time at PitcherList, like I've written a bunch of, this offseason in particular, I've done a lot of fantasy, um, you know, sleepers and bust, player comparisons, stuff like that. Most of what I've done over the last two years that I think I've been with PitcherList now, um, is analyzing players, which is not something I had done a lot of before. I mean, obviously, like okay. I analyzed players myself, but the idea of like writing an article where I go in depth and look at a player and like this player is hitting better than they used to or worse than they used to or whatever, like what's changed um, was sort of new. And I like it's been really, really rewarding. Um and so like, you know, this off season, I did one on, on Trent Grisham, who's, who's one of my favorite players. And it was really sort of fascinating to be able to dive in and see like his season last year was really disappointing and what happened and why, and where did I end up? And I ended up walking away feeling really excited about his, his 2022. Um, and I've been, you know, drafting him and buying him in auctions everywhere I can. Um, similarly, I wrote about 
Aaron Nola, which is only in all the time I've been with Pitcher List, which seems ridiculous because it's called Pitcher List. I've only written about <laughs> pitchers twice um, because, but in part because like between Nick and Alex Fast and, you know, when, when Mikey Ahedo was writing here, like there's so much good pitching analysis at Pitcher List that I was like, I, I don't know that I have anything to add to this. Um, but I've written now, I wrote about Tarek Skubal last year. I wrote about Aaron Nola this off season. I got a lot of help with those. Um, but like that stuff, like I'm, I'm very, very proud of that work and of like pushing myself to get better at not just, not just figuring out like who should I buy low or who's interesting or what order should I draft these people in, but actually like what's going on with this guy? What's changed? Why is he better? Why is he worse? And is that going to stick or is it going to get better? What's going to happen? And how do I prognosticate their future value? Um, I've really enjoyed that. And it's been, it's been really rewarding. Absolutely. I know that was one of my, uh, you know, personal areas that I thought I could grow in was analyzing pitchers. I've always felt much more comfortable with hitters, uh, my home league is hitters only, and so I've oh, always done. Uh, I've always done more hitter analysis before trying to get sense. into this more seriously. And it's just one of those things where you have to ask the right questions of the right people, give yourself some time to practice it, uh, and learn as you go. It's 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 scary to kind of put yourself out there and try to publish something when you're like i don't know if this is worth doing sort of thing and but there is someone who will find value in just what you have to say just because i know that every once in a while i'll be looking at a certain guy i'll be looking at you know Tarek skubal or something like that and be like what is what does anyone have to say about literally anything give me something on this guy some, some kind of deep dive and i'm like okay oh and just looking at it from a certain perspective will jog something in my mind and i'll think oh i want to go check this sort of thing well if that's his csw what how's that break down for each pitch sort of thing and uh how's that changed recently sort of thing so it's it's definitely interesting to Start the process and see where it takes you and uh, how you can improve as you go. Yeah. One of the best things about, about the PitcherList community, um, this, is, this is my plug for PitcherList Plus, if you haven't joined, is that um, you get to interact with all these like incredibly smart people who know more about this than certainly more about it than I do and probably more about it than anyone listening does. And like, they're just really, really great at this. And like when I decided I was going to write up Scooball because I, I saw something, I was just like, there's something going on here. And I, I honestly, off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, but he had changed his, he had dropped a pitch. Um, and I'm actually, I'm now, <laughs> I'm pulling up a discord conversation I had last May that was when I wrote about him. Um, and I was trying to look up CSW and XWOBA by pitch because Scooball had worked on a splitter, a new splitter going into the season last year. He started the season with it and ditched it when it wasn't working. 
Um, he had a really rough start of the year. He ditched his splitter, went back to a modified version of the changeup he'd been using as his off-speed pitch before hmm. at the beginning of May, and his whole season turned around like on a dime. And so I was like, I want to figure out why, like, did he just get lucky and things turned around? Or like, is this pitch change really it? And started to notice like he like he switched to the change. The change was slower than the split. At the same time, his fastball got faster. And so he got more separation, but doing like all the stuff. And I was like, I don't know what to make of any of this. Like, there's clearly something here and I don't know what to do. And I I, I actually reached out to Nick and was like, Nick, what do I do? Like, who do I who do I ask <laughs> about this? And he was like, go into the staff channel and just ask. Who wants to help me with this? And I put out a call and within like seconds, Zach Hayes reached out and was like, what do you need? <sighs> and so like, I have this whole long chat history with Zach that is basically two chunks of time. Um, we had a big, long conversation May of last year. We had another long conversation in like November, December of this year. Uh, and that's tied to him helping me with my article about Scooball and him helping with my article about Aaron Nola. Um, and he just like, he is a much better pitcher analyst than I am. He knows more about it than I do. He knows where to find the stuff I needed to find. Um, but he was willing to take the time and coach me through what I should be looking at. And like, even to be able to say like, yes, this thing you think you see actually sounds interesting and you should look at it closer. Yeah. Cause sometimes it's like, I think I see this and people are like, meh, that doesn't seem like anything, <laughs> but like, this is like, he, he really helped me sort of figure out like, was I seeing something? How could I prove I was seeing something? And how could I figure out what it meant for what's next? Um, and, and so like, it's just an awesome part of the picture list community that uh, I, I really appreciate. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I, I do like that perspective of you get to hang out with people who are smarter than you and, or are just very knowledgeable about baseball and a variety of other things. And, Austin Bristow is also there. <laughs> no, I, I know that feeling. It's like I, my, it's a, a weird analogy, but um, my, my son is a, is a soccer player and we've, you know, when he tries out for these competitive soccer teams, you don't know if you're going to get placed in like the first team or the second team and all this stuff. And um, we had a conversation with him last year as he was getting ready for tryouts about like, you know, you may not make the first team. You've got to figure out, you know, how you feel about that. And like, asked him a question of like, would you rather be the best player on the team or the worst player on the team? And he immediately said he would rather be the worst player on the team because he wants to play with players who are better than him. And like, that is how I feel at pitcher list all the time. And it's such a great, like, I love it. Like I, I like anytime I sit down to look at a pitcher, I'm like, there might not be anybody at pitcher list less qualified than me to look at this picture, <laughs> but I'm going to do it and I'm going to get the help I need. And I'm going to get better because of it because I'm surrounded by people who are so good at this. Um, yeah. Life lessons from my son. <laughs> That's awesome. Just know that I'm always here to be right below your skill level. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> we, we are the replacement level players of pitcher list, I guess. It's true. I'm mostly here because I talk good and I've been here a long time. <laughs> hey, those are skills. I am consistent, if nothing else. And I really like talking about D&D. The off-topic channels of the Discord server are my favorite places. <laughs> it's so good. Now, speaking of those off-topic channels, 
outside of the baseball realm, uh, what do you like to do? Any kinds of hobbies and what do you, how do you fill your time when you're not, uh, you know, trying to figure out the best valuations for your six different on audio teams? <laughs> yeah. I mean, most of my time is, is spent with my, my kids. Um, I, uh, right at the beginning of the, the pandemic, I was planning to take a leave of absence from my job. Um, like pre pandemic, it was like, Oh, I'm going to take a leave of absence. And my leave of absence is like, I'm going to work through April. So I was going to work through April of 2020 and then take a few months off to just like enjoy life. And, uh, the world had different plans. And so (laughs) (laughs) my, my time off, instead of being like, um, instead of being this, like, you know, summer of finding myself and figuring out what I wanted to do next with my life was just with my kids while they were home. They they could, they weren't, they were out of school, they were out of camps. Yeah. Uh, and when it was, when my leave was supposed to end and it was time for me to go back to work, my wife and I were both like, this is so much more valuable. Like this is so much more useful to our family than any money you would make. So why don't Aww. you just keep doing this? Uh, and so I've been a stay at home dad for the last couple of years, basically. Um, and so I spent a lot of time at, both of my kids play soccer. Some of their soccer practices and soccer games. Uh, my son also plays baseball. My daughter does a bunch of art. And so I go to take her to her art classes. Um, I've got sparkly purple nail polish because the good look. <laughs> my daughter wanted to go get manicure and I took her and then she decided that I also needed a manicure. Um, True. So like that's, that's a good chunk of it. That's, that's most of it. Uh, when I do have time for myself and I am not, doing baseball um it's you know trying to find time for date nights with my wife we, we like to we go to a lot of theater we love going to theater uh watching movies tv shows but my time my, my sort of personal time if it's not sports which is most of it uh it's reading um, i read a ton i've read I think it was, I don't remember now 21, 22 books since the start of the year, Goodness. 21 since the start of the year. Um, and so I usually go through like, typically I read 50 to 65 books a year, like more than 50. Cause I, I go through a book a week pretty easily. Wow. Um, so more like, you know, 55 to 65 books a year. Uh, this year I'm on pace for more like 80 yeah no maybe we're, we're, we're the 12th week of the year and you've already hit yeah 20. i i did in january um draft season has dramatically decreased my reading time so like Wait, in Jan- i think i read way. like 10 books in january and Ooh. then it's been like five a month since and so my guess is i end up closer to like 75 than 100 but uh still um yeah. And what kind of stuff of are you reading? Is it a lot of fiction? Do you have a certain genre that you're drawn to? I, uh, I'm all over the place. Um, I think if I were choosing for myself all the time, and I'm not, and I'll get into that in a moment, but <laughs> if I were choosing for myself all the time, I would be reading mostly a combination of um, literary fiction, like I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with like the literary world. I also, so my, my job prior to taking this leave, I worked for Amazon and a long chunk of the time I was in Amazon, I worked in the books business there. And so I'm very mm. familiar with like the publishing industry and stuff like that, which is a whole other thing. But, um, you know, I, like I would go through like, uh, man Booker prize winners and shortlists and stuff like that, which if you're not really into books, doesn't mean anything to you, but 
that's the kind of stuff I would read a lot of. Um, I also read a lot of nonfiction, um, but I'm in, I'm in two book clubs. Um, one of which is uh, with friends of mine in Seattle and we, we, they're they tend to have similar book interests to me. Um, although there's a couple of people in the book club who also read a lot of like, um, like, I don't know how to describe it. Like they, they it's, I wouldn't call it YA, but younger fiction. I don't know. I don't know, but they read a lot of that. Uh, and then I'm in a book club in, so you were talking about the off topic pictures plus discord channels. There are also some off topic channels in the auto news slack. And one of them is a book club. Uh, oh, we read cool. a book every month. And so that audience, um, it's been going for about two years and it's been mostly sci-fi, sci-fi and fantasy, but mostly sci-fi. Um, but it's, there's been a push lately for people to branch out. And so, um, it's been really interesting. I mean, it's been, it's fascinating. I'm sort of all over the place. And then I mix in there, uh, a decent number of actual young adult novels. Cause I read with my kids, either they read a book that I read at the same time so we can talk about it, or I read a book with them. Um, and so I've got a handful of those in there as well, but yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not picky about, I'm picky about the quality of the books. Like I'm, I, I'm can be very judgy about books, which is probably not great. <laughs> um, but I'm not picky about the, the genre or what the book's about. Like I'll, yeah, that I'll sounds like, like my mom. She, uh, she was a librarian, uh, for Ooh. years and years and years and very similar reading pace, just constantly picking something up and finishing it within the week. Um, and I, <laughs> I always think she'd probably be a little disappointed that I haven't like kept up with my, you know, <laughs> reading for pleasure. I, goodness, I, I could not. The last book I read for pleasure, I did, um, I got through The Last Wish, uh, the first book in the Witcher series. I am, oh, yeah. I am still working on uh, the second book. Um, they're very well done. I enjoy them quite a bit. It's just, I don't, it's not how I often choose to spend my time, um, which is funny because for Christmas, I ended up asking for like six books. <laughs> Most of them vaguely baseball or D and D related, so I'm got I've got to work my way through them at some point, and it's it's just a matter of staking out time to to do so. Yeah, now this this like I I read a ton as a kid, um, like I was I was, and it's funny because like my my kids are turning into the same thing now, which is like ever, like said one of my you know my my main time outside of baseball is spent with my kids every friday we go to a used bookstore in our neighborhood oh, and they so cool. return books they're done with and buy new books and uh it's like this we do it every week and it's awesome and they they read a ton but i was like that as a kid i just i read everything and then i went to college and practically stopped reading um because i was doing so much reading for classes yep. the idea of like picking up a book in my spare time was like why would i want to do this and then my my sort of the start of my career after college i worked in sports marketing and i traveled a ton and this is you know 2004 2005 so like there was no like you know you weren't using your cell phone or your wi-fi or pulling out your laptop on a plane like 
you know, this, this was in the days where you'd like, you know, you'd stop at the bookstore in the airport and pick up whatever bestseller was available there. And I would like read a book on the flight and then pick up a new book on the way home and read that on the way back. And, uh, it got me back into the habit of reading a lot. And then it just, yeah, it stuck. That's awesome. Very, very good. Well, we are going to do a quick pause here and then we're going to go ahead and get into a bit of what we are looking forward to for the upcoming 2022 season. Be right back. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show Alrighty, now, one of the most exciting things, at least from my perspective, that you have upcoming in this 2022 season, Chad, is you are going to be one of the new hosts of the First Pitch Podcast, our daily podcast in the season that comes out each morning to discuss basically what happened yesterday, who performed well, what was interesting, etc., etc., are you excited? Are you nervous? What are you looking forward to most? Uh, yes. And yes, I am excited and nervous. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, we have, we have a lot of very talented podcasters at picture list who are doing some really great stuff. Um, but like, Nick and Alex have been hosting that for a while and they're, they're, they're really good at what they do and they're, they're, they're big names in the industry and, um, it's, it's big shoes to fill. And so when, when Adam Howe, who runs the the podcast part of picture list sort of put out a call and was like, Hey, we're looking for people to, to step in for Nick and Alex and take this over moving forward, sort of pinged him. It was like, I don't, I don't know that I'm like, like, I'm not Nick and I'm not Alex. And he's like, well, are you interested? And I was like, yeah, I, I think I'm interested. <laughs> it's like, I'm, nice. I'm like, I'm tentatively interested. Cause I just like, it's such big shoes to fill. And it feels like it's, it's not easy to step into like, I don't know. I got, I'm trying not to like use like too grandiose language. But it's like, I'm stepping into the shoes of a legend. <laughs> you don't want to like so it just feels like a, a big deal to step in and, and and do this and um it's an interesting challenge because people who listen to this and have been listening to nick and alex do it have expectations of what's coming the type of analysis yeah. the type of information they're going to get uh and i don't want to let them down but i also want to find my own voice and my own approach to it my own style for it and 
uh, I imagine James and, and Scott, who are the other two, you know, we're gonna, there's gonna be three of us sort of rotating hosting duties for this. Um, I imagine they're trying to do the same. And so it's going to be, uh, it's gonna be fun. It's going to be interesting. I'm excited to work with James and Scott on it. Um, they're, they're both, they're both good guys. Scott's been my, my manager on the writing side for a while now. So, uh, I got, I know him well, James, I'm just sort of getting to know. Um, but already like I'm, I'm mostly going to be doing weekends. So it's like, I'm going to be doing like the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning editions. Nice. Um, good. And I'm like two weeks into the season, maybe not even two weeks into the season. I'm going on a trip with my family and like, we have a, we have a travel trailer. And so we're gonna be like in this like little trailer for the weekend. And like, I was like, I, I can't, I can't record this. This is never going to work, but they stepped up. They're going to, they're each going to take one of my nights. I'll be back Sunday night. That's actually, that's right. I'm doing Saturday, Sunday and Monday morning. So I'll be back Sunday night to record for Monday morning. So like, great. Lovely. Like it's nice having a team to work with and to be able to share the responsibilities on it. And, um, any of you who are listening to this, who also listen to that or expect to listen to that, like hit me up on Twitter or on the Pitcherless Discord with, you know, what you're looking for, what you loved about it last year, what what might if there's stuff that was missing, what was missing, um, and, and once I get going on it, like I want feedback, I want to know what's working and what's not. I think, you know, the the beauty of of this podcast as a listener was always that I could. I didn't miss anything. I got, I yeah. got the, the high level. This is what happened yesterday. This is what you need to be thinking about today. And uh, yeah, I'm, I hope I can bring that to people. Yeah. I was, I was thinking, you know, the first pitch is kind of the antithesis to on the list where first pitch comes out in the morning. It's only like 10 or 15 minutes long. Um, it's very, you know, analysis based things along those lines numbers based whereas on the list we are recording late at night more often than not we are you know often an hour and a half plus it's 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 much more of just a conversation so it's it's interesting to compare just the different facets and the different range that the podcast network we've built has um I filled in once for first pitch. Uh, Fast had something going on over the weekend. They asked for a couple of us to jump in, and I did one little morning recording for it. It was a good old time. I I think I did some kind of little trivia thing like Alex would do because I, I love trivia personally. So it was fun. It's it's very. It, I found it nerve wracking. I I recorded twice. I recorded it once didn't like it. And when I listened back and so I redid it and was like, okay, that's better. I'm good with that. So I can definitely see the, uh, the, the appeal for the listener is obvious, but I think there is definitely an appeal for you as a podcaster as well to really step up to the challenge of condensing so much information into not only a tight space, but in, in a way that is usable and, legible if that works for hearing <laughs> hearable <laughs> yeah, yeah understandable, no, I, I, agree. I, I think that's right i think um i mentioned before that i was a, a journalism major in undergrad and one of the things you learn as a journalism major is like print space in a newspaper is expensive and you got to be concise and everything has to be quick and and clear 
Uh, and it's been a long time since I've really pushed myself on that in the same way. And I'm, I'm intrigued by this, like, okay, you know, like, especially doing the weekends, like if I'm recording on a Friday night, um, every team is playing, right? I'm not getting like a, you know, on a Monday or a Thursday night, you might get, you know, six games, seven games. And no, it's going to be every single team has a game. So how do you in 15 minutes cover 15 games? Right. Um, plus give people advice or thoughts on what should, what's coming the next day. So uh, I'm excited. I think it'll be fun. I, I hope I'm up for the challenge. <laughs> I am looking forward to it. So for those, those uh, first pitch podcast fans out there, look forward to hearing more from Chad Young, James Shiano, and Scott Chu. It'll be a lovely troop there that are going to do a fantastic job. And you know what? Who needs Nick and Alex? (laughs) It'll be fine. I'm looking forward to it thoroughly. Now, what I'm also looking forward to is an actual, honest-to-God, full 162-game season of 2022 baseball, which... I'll be honest. I did not think we were going to get. I was I my bet did. was like 140 at most, like 140 to 95 was kind of the range I was thinking. The fact that we're getting 162 games is spectacular, and I'm so happy. And life is better now than it was a month ago. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I was 162 seemed like a an impossible dream. So I'm, I'm very excited. Um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be great. Now, as we look towards this season, it's been such a weird, weird off season where so much of us, so much has been so in up in the air that it's kind of been hard to really absorb what happened last year and prepare and, think on what that means for the following season like we would normally do so it's been a very condensed like okay well now people are signing we and okay now what's that mean for the landscape of each division great there's how many teams in the playoffs now okay uh well i'm excited for this sort of thing so what is it that you've been able to kind of pick out of the myriad of stories what are you looking forward to most in this 2022 season yeah i i think man there's so many things there's like i have like so many players that i've like grown attached to um through my analysis in the off season and my my co-host and keeper cut pete ball always jokes that he can look at a draft board that i'm participating in and know which team is mine without without knowing which team is mine because he's like, Oh, it has these like five guys. That's definitely Chad's team. Um, and so there's a bunch of guys that like, I'm super excited to see what Josh Bell can do with the Nats this year. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I talked earlier that I wrote about Trent Grisham. I'm very excited about Trent Grisham. Um, I've talked a ton on keeper cut and, and written a little bit as well. in some of my sleeper and bust articles about Willie Adamas, who I think is going to have a huge year for the, the brewers. It's like, there's a bunch of guys like that, but I think, from an individual player uh, and this feels like such a cop-out answer. Cause like who wouldn't be excited about this, but like, I want to see what Shohei Otani can do. <laughs> like I want right. to see if he can do it again. 
Um, and I think, you know, it, it got talked about a little bit towards the end of last year, but I think got lost a bit in the off season. His second half last year offensively was, um, I mean, I don't want to say it wasn't bad. Like by any means, it wasn't bad. But he had a 431 Woba in the first half and a 348 in the second half. Like that's a pretty big drop off. Yeah. Um, and I'm just, you know, he's had injury issues before and he's going to now go into his second full season of trying to do the whole hitting and pitching thing full time. And uh, I think when he is at his best, he is so fun. He's so good for the game of baseball. Uh, and I'm just, I, I'm excited to see, I'm excited to see his encore. Absolutely. Yeah, I am. It's such a weird thing to try to pin down with Otani because we've never seen anything quite like it. My dad and I were talking about it. I mean, the CBA includes a niche new rule that if you are a starting pitcher and you are the DH, which is never going to happen except for one person. If that, those two things are both true, when you come out of the game as a pitcher, you can remain in the game as a DH. That's a new rule now that Otani is going to get like what? I don't know, 20 more plate appearances this year because of that's cool. I like that. But yeah, it's definitely going to be day, fascinating. I commented the other day that and, and I, I think this is I think this is true. Uh, he is going to be the first player in baseball history to play two positions at the same time because his story, like last year when he started as a pitcher and hit the, he wasn't DHing. The angels were forfeiting the DH and choosing to have their pitcher hit, which right. is something any AL team could do at any time, but no one ever did. Cause why would you do that? Um, so great. I like now they, that isn't the case. Now he is going to be their designated hitter and separately he will be their starting pitcher. And so he will be in the, in, you know, if they have a home game that he is pitching. He is going to come out as the starting pitcher in the top half of the inning and then the DH in the bottom half of the inning and then still be the starting pitcher while he's the DH. Yeah. And it's just like, I think that's a super cool, random, quirky thing. Um, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's super fascinating. I imagine there's somebody out there who deals with like the back end systems for places like Pitcher List, and now all of a sudden they have to deal with the fact that he's playing two positions at the same time in the same game, and it's probably a huge pain. Um, <laughs> and I feel bad for them, but their pain is worth it. <laughs> it's worth it. Uh, I was looking at that split you brought up earlier. Um, so, quick pop quiz. Uh, what do you think Otani's slugging percentage in the first half of the 21 season was? So <laughs> I, I'm literally looking at his splits right now because I had to pull it up to remind myself what that split was. So I could just, I could just tell you <laughs> that it his was slugging 6, percentage was 698. Yeah. That's insane. insane. Just crazy. That's so good. So I the, the crazy thing the crazy thing about his splits is anytime you see a guy like he had a 431 woba in the first half 698 slugging as you mentioned yeah, anytime insane. you see something crazy like that and then it drops down to something more normal in the second half 
my immediate reaction is like, oh, he probably had like a 450 BABIP or something, right? Like everything was, no, he had a 298 BABIP in the first half. This wasn't like a bunch of batted ball luck. He just was smashing the ball. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just, it's just sort of crazy. Um, I, you know, you could say his, you know, his home run per fly ball rate was 38.4%. So maybe there is some fly ball luck there, but like that's because he was hitting the ball so hard all the time. And yeah, he's just, like I said, when he's at his best, he is just, he's on another planet. And, and I, I really, really hope that we get, I just imagine his final line. If he did that for a full season, that's, I that's what I want to see. Look forward <laughs> to it. I hope that we can see that. Yeah. The one weird uh, thing about his splits again in the second half, he walked a lot more. He went from an 11% walk rate to a 20% walk rate from the first to the second half. So he seems like I, I'm not able to easily right away pull up his uh, his like contact and how often he's swinging, but he just seems like he may have been a bit more selective and that might have been a detriment. He might have been a bit more, uh, might have gotten himself into some worse counts and not been able to capitalize quite as well, not been quite as aggressive, but it will be interesting to see which, which Otani we get in this 22 season, where we get the hyper-aggressive 33 homers in 90 games Otani or the 20% walk rate on base monster. Yeah. I mean, so I'm looking right now, uh, his, so his, like his chase rate for the season was 30.1%. It was 29.3 in the second half. His swing rate for the season was 45.8%. It was 44% in the second half. Zone percentage was 36.8% in the second half, 37.4% of the season. So it was like everything added up. He like, he swung a little less. The ball was in the zone a little less. Um, He got, you know, uh, some fewer first pitch strikes, which, you know, helps lead to that walk rate. I I imagine, um, I mean, I have to imagine a big chunk of this was he started the season like three big things changed with him as the season went on. One is he went from this like mythical, let's see what he can do kind of thing to establishing himself as one of the best hitters in baseball, which I think prior to this year, you know, we knew he was good, but I don't think we knew he was that right. Second, uh, Anthony Rendon got hurt and basically didn't play. And third, Mike Trout stopped playing. And so yep. all of a sudden he went from like, they've got Rendon and Trout and Otani and Walsh is breaking out. And then like, you know, that's really it. They was just those guys. They don't have anyone else. <laughs> they didn't have anyone else, but they had those guys uh, to all of a sudden him being sort of alone, right? Walsh was still around, but like everybody, everyone around him got hurt. And so you, you hit a point pretty quickly where I think if you were another team, you're just like, he's not going to beat us. Why would you let him beat you? And, and to that extent, like the, you know, as a hitter, the right response is to go, okay, I'll take the walks. Right. And so 
I, I think that probably had a lot to do with it. And so like part of what I'm hoping we get to see this year is like, what happens if every time you walk Otani, you actually have like a lineup behind him that you have to be scared of because they really, they didn't last year. And it's not like they, it's, it's not like they added anything, right? I mean, like Brandon Marsh is up now. Joe Adele seems to be turning around. Like the, the lineup might be better this year overall, but they didn't go out and add some big free agent. It's just, they, he was leading off and he had Trout and Walsh and like their, their lineup for this year looks like it's going to be something like Otani, Trout, Walsh, Rendon at the top. You can't pitch around him. Right. If he's got those guys hitting behind him. Uh, and so, you know, hopefully pitchers have to challenge him more. He can be uh, a little bit more aggressive and yeah, who knows what he's capable of doing. I, it's, it's like, it I want to say like, maybe he'll be able to repeat the first half, but it's like every time I think Otani could do something, he does something like 10% better. <laughs> so know. who knows? And still not only that, but I mean, the dude when he was on the mound had a 29% K rate as well. It, Just nuts. Yeah, like I, I feel like we're not talking about, he's actually a very good pitcher. 130 innings of 156 strikeouts, 318 ERA, 109 whip. That would be probably a top 30 pitcher if he was just a pitcher. So yeah, we had a, we had a really interesting conversation last year um, in the, the auto news slack about as early in the season, maybe even before the season last year of whether he was more likely to win an MVP or a Cy Young. And at the time, and I still feel this way, I think the answer is he's more likely to win an MVP because, first of all, I think he's a better hitter than he is a pitcher, yeah. right? which is certainly what we saw last year. But if he put together a Cy Young caliber season and continued to hit, he'd win both. Yeah. Right? I don't think there's a world in which he wins Cy Young without winning MVP. Yeah. Because he's such a good hitter that how could you be like, yeah, he was he was a Cy Young award winning pitcher and one of the better hitters in the league, but somebody else's MVP? Like, no, that's not that's not an option. <laughs> There's no way. Yeah, it's that it's hard not to be the most valuable player if you are very good at both. You don't have to be right. spectacular at one if you are very good at both. Right. That makes you an extremely valuable player, likely the most valuable. Yeah. Now, one aspect that I am thoroughly looking forward to seeing play out is this new expanded postseason. We're up to 12 teams now. So essentially, uh, the teams that get the first and second slots each get a bye in the first round. Three and four seeds play to see who gets to play the first seeds, I believe. Or sorry, the four and five seeds. And then the three and six seeds play to see who's going to play the second seed. So it's essentially just a straight bracket, just with more teams now. What I think is fascinating is that makes for a much more interesting uh push towards the postseason i think that's a big reason why the mariners went out and splashed in trades and and whatnot they went and got winker and suarez so that because 
they almost made it last year. And now they have a better chance to make it because more teams are going to just mathematically. And so I, once you're in the postseason, we've seen it before where once you're there, anything can happen. I mean, the Atlanta Braves were not supposed to be the best team in baseball last year, but they were the best team for a month and that's all that mattered. So I was reading an article that basically said, if you look back at the last 10 seasons and we had this 12 team postseason set up throughout the last decade, there'd only actually be one sub 500 team that would have snuck in. Um, the rest are right around like 81 to 83 wins right in that range. So think like last year, think like the Reds would have been the 12th best team um, or like the sixth best team in the National League. That's interesting. And I think it's going to make for a lot more teams to be more competitive we, I know there's been a lot of talk about parity lately and so many teams are tanking until they're great because that's kind of what you've had to do lately to really compete is if you are not a super big market team, you're going to have to just wait and get your prospects and develop them and hope it works out. Now, a middling team is potentially a playoff team. I think it's really, really fascinating. Like someone like the Angels, who I have been living in the shadow of the Astros for so long. The Angels have a very, very real chance of making the postseason this year. Um, I think the NL Central is a fascinating spot to look where, you know, the Cardinals, the Brewers are both going to be good. And the National League East, I think, is set to be a very competitive division this year with the Braves, Phillies, Mets, and don't sleep on the Marlins, who have a very good pitching staff this year. I think it's going to be very fascinating to see not only what the new October looks like, but how front offices will approach moving towards competitive play yeah i'm i am uh i am academically interested <laughs> in how this all plays agreed out. um and i think it's going to be sort of fascinating i have some real concerns um and i think some of that is like we we know as you said like if you're an, uh, a 500 team and one last player could push you over the top to get you into that six seed, anything can happen. And I think that's going to, I think it's going to create a race to the middle. Unfortunately, like I'm, I'm worried that it's going to take a lot of teams. Like there'll be a lot of teams that are like projected for 75 to 78 wins. They're going to be like, man, one more addition might be enough. But I also think there's gonna be a lot of teams projected for like 90 wins that are like, 90 85 95 it's sort of all the same and so they're gonna they're gonna stop pushing um and that that concerns me a little i also uh here's my here's my hot take 
on the new playoff structure of having two buys. I think the one seed is going to be a bad place to be. And, and here's why. Uh, I think buys are bad. Like, I think it's going to be an actively bad thing to get a buy. I think baseball is such a sport of timing and repetition and being in the, being in your zone and in your flow. And um, I think that having a, a week or a few days or whatever it is off while someone else is playing is not good. Now, the counterpoint to that is if you're the, like the one seed will play the four or the five. The four or five have to, one of them has to lose and one of them has to win to get there. So I totally get that the, you know, the one seed will have a better chance of making the LCS just because they get through that first round. However, I think the team that wins the four or five matchup will be in a better position than the team that has the one seed because they will be ready to, they'll be, they'll been playing. They'll be ready to go. Um, I think the other thing that's a little challenging is, and this was certainly true. Like if you look at the NL last year, but I think it's been true for a lot of years. I think the four seed will often be better than the three seed, right? The wild card team, the wild card team is anywhere from the second to the fourth best team in their league. Sure. The third division winner could be the 10th best team in their league in theory. Right. And so, you know, if you look at the NL last year, uh, the Dodgers were the first wild card. Yeah. Right. So if you're the one seed, if you're the Giants and you have gone out and you have won 107 games, your prize is more than likely getting the Dodgers in your first round playoff matchup. That's that's kind of rough. Whereas the third best division winner was Atlanta, right? So Atlanta, like if I look at the NL last year, Atlanta would have played the second wild card and the second wild card would have been the Cardinals. So the Brewers as the second best division winner would have gotten either Atlanta or St. Louis. No, sorry. No, that's right. Atlanta or St. Louis. Yeah. And the Giants would have gotten either the Dodgers or the Reds. Probably the Dodgers. Yeah. Like, I'd much, much rather be the Brewers in that case. Much rather be the Brewers. And so, like, that seems a little rough to me. In the AL, it would have been a little bit different because the three best records in the league were the three division winners. And so it's it's a little bit cleaner there. But I'm not – I don't know. I'm not sure this is actually – like, I don't think it rewards regular season success. And I think if you're not going to reward regular season success, like, like what are we doing in a sport that has a 162 game regular <laughs> season yeah. where you build for this grind? Um, the thing I like this year, and I hope, I really hope this sticks, is it sounds like they're going to compress the offseason, or not the offseason, they're going to compress the postseason. And if they compress the postseason, it will force teams to go deeper into the rotations. It'll force team to, teams to go deeper into their bullpens. And it'll start to reward the type of team building that's successful in the regular season. One of yeah. the things I, I, I haven't loved about the postseason, and like 
maybe this is like a little hypocritical of me as a Cleveland fan because I was super excited about the 2016 postseason. But if you go back and look at the Cleveland postseason in 2016, they went into the postseason. Carlos Carrasco got hurt. Danny Salazar got hurt. And then early in the postseason, that was the year that Trevor Bauer hurt himself playing with a drone yep. and had like the bloody finger on the mound and stuff. They limped into that postseason with no pitching. Like, no pitching at all. And made it to the seventh game of the World Series basically because Andrew Miller and Cody Allen were like, yeah. we are going to go to the World Series. We don't care that there's no starting pitchers. Yeah. And that was fun and it was exciting. I don't think it's actually, like, I don't think that should be rewarded <laughs> necessarily. Like, I, and so I, I like the fact that, and I'm curious to see what the schedule ends up looking like because I haven't seen it. But I like the idea of a more compressed postseason where like that Cleveland team, if they're going to make it should have made it because enough other guys stepped up, not because they were able to say, we're just going to use these three. Like it was, it was Alan Miller and Brian Shaw. And yeah. they just rode those three guys five innings every game. And you could do it five innings every game because there were days off all the time. Yeah. And, and I like, think you saw something similar, honestly, last year with Atlanta, we got to the point where uh, Charlie Morton's out and uh, Max Free doesn't look very good in his first start. Ian Anderson is okay. And then we have no one beyond that. And so yeah. you go to a lot of Matzik and Minter and Jackson and Smith. And it's the Braves won the world series on their bullpen. That's just how that worked out. Um, it's, it is fascinating that it's in the 162 game regular season starters are so valuable, but once you get to the postseason, if you've got a good bullpen, you can go a long way. Yeah. And it's, you know, in the regular season, bullpens matter, but it's bullpen depth as much as it is like, two elite back end guys can only do so much for you in the regular season. Cause they can only pitch so many innings. The, the Braves, like one of the things that, that Atlanta did well was they had so many good arms. Yeah. They really didn't have any elite bullpen arms, right? They didn't have uh, like anyone that you were like, would like this a word. Just... I maybe <laughs> <laughs> I, I think my, I, you know, they, what they had in, in my mind anyways, was like they didn't have a hater, they didn't have a Hendrix. Sure. Like right? absolutely. What they had, and Matzik fits this, like they had a bunch of really good pitchers. They didn't have anyone that I would consider an elite bullpen arm. They didn't have any of the top like 10 bullpen arms right. in baseball or something, right? As compared to that Cleveland team where Cody Allen and Andrew Miller were legitimately two of like five to ten best relievers in oh, all yeah. of baseball that year. Miller right? was debatably the best at the time. Yeah. Now, but what Atlanta had was like six guys who were all really good. And that plays in the regular season. And I, I have less of a problem with that being rewarded than I do with like just teams riding one or two guys the whole time. Uh, I don't know. I, I also understand like I, I, I can hear myself sounding like a curmudgeon, like <laughs> the regular season should matter and blah, 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 blah. And like, um, you know, part of this ties back to like, I, I want, like, I like championships that reward greatness. And I don't think 
baseball really does that anymore. They reward the best October. And that's yeah. not necessarily bad. Like the reality is American sports fans, that's what they love. Like March Madness is what it is. Not because nobody believes, nobody, I, I don't think, believes that March Madness is the best way to figure out who's the best college basketball team in the country. It's fun and it's exciting and it's chaotic and random things happen. And like the baseball playoffs are are sort of that way too. Um, I don't know, this goes back to like, I, was ta- I can't remember who I was talking to that was just shocked that European soccer leagues, like they have tournaments and stuff, but they don't have playoffs. Right. Like the team that wins the Premier League is the team that gets the most regular season points in the Premier League. And that's, that's who wins. And that's it. And like they were just like people are American sports fans. Like we don't we have no time for that. That's not what we, we want the chaos. We want the underdog. We want the Cinderella. Like I kind of don't like I would have been perfect. Like I actually would be perfectly happy with them being like, we're going to four divisions. You win your division. You're in. That's it. Yeah, like I'm fine with that. I would like because I want to see the best team win, uh, and the baseball playoffs just don't allow for that. And so then adding more teams to that, I think, makes it worse. And but I'm, I'm also like, I'm saying that now. I I I have my issues with it. When the calendar turns to October, I'm going to be glued to these games because they're oh, going absolutely. to be riveting. So it's going to be from interesting, that perspective. Right? Two two quick things, just as a response. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, can we just real quick, we're just one minute maybe, how cool is it the Braves went out and got Kenley Jansen and Colin McHugh? Just feeling really good about that. That's really nice. I like <laughs> that um, as a Braves fan myself. So, yeah. yeah. Love that, that pen is going to be oh, it's nasty. painful for other teams. Painful oh, it's for nasty. And if uh, if... Waskari Noah can do what he did in the first half before he broke his hand, then, oh, look, we've got a fourth pitcher now. Hooray. <laughs> yeah. So, fingers crossed. That team, that team will be, that team won the World Series and will be, I think, unquestionably better this year than they were last year. Yeah, they won the World Series without their best player. Because Acuna was out. Yeah, for the second. They'll get half. him back. Um, I, you know, they they lost Freeman, but I actually think like Freeman to Olsen is it's fine. maybe a slight downgrade. Um, maybe they've got a full um, season now of Eddie Rosario. They've got Marcelo Zuna back for whatever that's worth. Full season of and their Adam pitching Duvall. should be better. Pitching should be better. Like. Freed, Morton are going to do their thing. Anderson has a potential to take another step forward, as does Enoa. And who knows what's going to happen with that fifth spot, as whether it's Kyle Wright, uh, Tucker Davidson. It could be interesting as far as that fifth spot goes. And maybe we see the oft-talked-about, rarely-seen return of Mike Soroka. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I'm not ready nice. to count on that yet. I nice. I love me some Soroka, and I hope he can come back and pitch well. I'm just, boy, oh boy, Achilles is a rough one to come back from. Yeah, but then you look at that pen and like Jansen and Smith and McHugh and Matic and Jackson and Minter. They yeah, it is six deep of Kirby Yates. Yeah, too. Yeah, like so. Yeah, I mean, it, it, 
if Kirby Yates comes back healthy and strong and what, what he's capable of, I mean, you're talking about a bullpen that'll go seven deep easily. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're going to be the only bullpen in, in baseball that like if the if the starter gets blown up and they need to someone for mop up duty, they're going to be like, all right, well, we're just going to shut you down for five innings of mop up duty because like we don't have anyone in the bullpen bad enough to not shut you down for, for five yeah. innings. Yeah, I it's mean, impressive. One one guy that no one talks about because the bullpen is ridiculous at this point. I could see Sean Newcomb being a very good two inning pitcher, but that's a discussion for another time. The other thing I wanted to discuss briefly, um, you mentioned kind of a race to the middle. I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Hmm. I, and I, I don't know. I haven't thought about it enough to have, hard and fast feelings about it. But just off the top of my head, I think I would rather have, you know, 10 teams out of the 15 in a league that are at least kind of trying rather than having five teams that are trying five teams that are totally not even giving any effort and basically trying to lose and five teams that are sort of trying. I think I would rather have a larger middle rather than the kind of spread out fashion we've seen recently. And I'm like I said, I'm not, I haven't thought on it too much. I could definitely see where that would make for some, uh, some uh, lazy is not the right word, but some, passiveness i guess towards the top but i would i think i would i i'm i think i would give some passiveness of the elite teams if that meant that some of the middling teams are going to push harder yeah i think that's fair and i think uh i mean anytime a change like this is made there are going to be hard to predict unintended consequences and it's really difficult to just like as smart as people are and as hard as people work at like trying to measure this kind of stuff it's just until it happens you don't really know and so i think we'll have to see i am open-minded uh even though it probably didn't sound like it for most of this conversation (laughs) i am open-minded about it um but i i yeah my my concern is that the teams that are tanking are still going to tank and the teams in the middle are still going to be in the middle. And it's just going to give the top teams like one more excuse to not spend. And so I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just, I'm generally skeptical that you, if you give major league baseball owners an excuse to not spend money, they will use that excuse to not spend money. <laughs> so well, it's the top teams concern. might not spend money, but the middle teams would is my, is kind of my Maybe. argument. Yeah, I think yeah. it's, I think it it pulls the bottom higher more than it pulls the top lower. It might it and I think it overall be. it will it it is a general shift to more competitiveness is what I am hoping and guessing. I I hope you're right. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, those were a bit longer discussions than I had actually expected. So I'm going to go ahead and just push us towards our uh, mailbag at this point. So let's do it. We do like to devote a large portion of the pod to answering your questions on the air. So you can send those directly to me. As I said on Twitter, I am at Bristowski or better yet, hop into our PL Plus Discord server where I ask every week. We'd be happy to grade your trades, offer analysis on a player you've been wondering about, or answer any number of other inquiries. Now, we brought up in our Discord that you are a big reader. We talked about it a bit here. Now, Miles Nelson, my lovely co-host, he wanted to know, what is the most overrated book you've read? For example, you picked it up because it was very had a lot of hype built up, and then you read it and you were like, I don't understand where the hype came from. Yeah. So <laughs> Miles pinged me separately and he was like, I bet you get asked all the time, like what books should people read? What are good books? So I thought I'd go the other direction with this. And I was like, that's, that sounds like you miles. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Uh, and so this is a, the, the immediate book that came to mind for me is a book that like, Everyone I know had read it. Everyone recommended it. I was sort of behind on reading it. I picked it up. I got, I so I have this I have this problem that when I start reading a book, I have to finish it. So even I start reading books I don't like, and and I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna finish it because I want to know what happens. I don't maybe it gets better at the end. This book, as much as people recommended it, I picked it up. I read like, I read like fifteen percent of it or something like the first like you know few chapters and was like. This is so poorly written and I, I cannot keep going. I'm done. And then people kept recommending it. So I picked it up again and I got like 20% of the way through, like a little bit further and was like, nope, I can't do it. This book is not good. It's not interesting. I do not enjoy it. Um, and I gave up again. It's the only book I can, I can think of that I gave up after starting reading. And uh, it is Harry Potter. Really? Yeah. That no, is I have not since... where I thought you were going to go with that. <laughs> I have since read. I event so the second time I I did that it was uh shortly I can't remember if it was right before or right after my son was born. And I was like, "You know what? I can't do this. I'm sure my son is going to want to read this someday. I will just read it with him." Because I figure as he's growing up, I'm going to read a bunch of books I don't want to read. <laughs> I'm going to read a bunch of terrible stuff. So this can be one of them. Um, and I have now read, he and I, over the course of a couple of years, read all seven Harry Potter books together. So I've now read the entire series. Uh, Has your opinion changed after getting the whole series? They The books get better and more interesting as they go. Uh, so that that has changed. I still think they are full of like lazy uninteresting writing um and you know some of that is like you know jk rowling has not exactly covered herself in glory in the last couple of years with her, <laughs> her opinions on things and some of that you know shows up in the books as you're reading them um and so there's, there's a lot of stuff that as i was reading i was just like this is actually making me cringe i'm so uncomfortable reading this uh, but a lot of it is also just like, I don't, I don't think she's a good writer. The story is very creative. The story is very interesting. It is, it is well constructed. And there is yeah. a reason that it had, that people have latched onto it the way they have. 
It's a very um, good story. It's in a very evocative, evocative world building, I think is the best way to put it. It's not good sure. world building, but it is evocative. And that's yes. that in and of itself is enough for a lot of people. And yes. yeah, I, I look, definitely understand it's, it is not the best polished and, or the best conveyed story. Yeah. And I think like, you know, look, my, my son loved it, right? He loved reading it. Like his birthday party last year, we did a Harry Potter themed scavenger hunt for his birthday party because that was what he wanted to do. My daughter cool. um, is now midway ish through the first book reading with my wife and she is super into it. And like I it's, it is like, I will, I will be forever grateful because that book has played a meaningful role in getting my kids to love reading. And I'm sure that is true for lots of parents and lots of kids. And that, that piece is great. Um, there are things, it's just not for me. And, And I do think there are things like some of the, some of her treatment of, um, minority characters and things like that are just like, there are things that I feel like as my kids grow up, they're going to be like, wait a second. <laughs> like, what was that about? Um, that, and that's when I said, like, there was stuff that as I was reading, I was just like cringing as I was going. Um, but you know what? Those are conversations I need to have with my kids at some point anyways. And so maybe, maybe the, the problematic parts of Harry Potter will serve a positive in my life when they create an opportunity to have conversations with my kids that need to be had. Fair enough. We'll see. (laughs) You know, as you were describing a book that had gotten a lot of, a lot of praise and acclaim sort of thing, but you were reading it and just thinking, this is not good writing, et cetera, et cetera. The book I thought you were going to say was divergent. (laughs) That's so funny. Uh, I, so I have read the Divergent series as have I, my son is actually just starting the third book. So like my son is reading it now. Um, I, I read Divergent and the Hunger Games series right around the same time. Um, and the reality, like I had very low expectations for those books. Uh, I, I didn't like, I expected those to be like good creative stories that were, you know, mediocre writing. Um, I actually like, I'll be honest, I think the hunger games is relatively well-written. I don't think like, uh, divergent is not. (laughs) No, no. Divergent (laughs) is, divergent um, is a, is, uh, what you get when you have bad world building, uh, a mess of a story and poor writing on top of it the, yeah. i i read again. all of it and i like all three books and i really struggled to finish the third one uh yeah. I, spoiler alert, i read those you, books on a single vacation like yeah. it was like a week-long vacation i was on yeah. the beach and like i could read a book of like i could read those books in like less than a day so it was like i just churned through them and i was like this was at the point where I was, when I was working at Amazon, I worked on the the Kindle business and I like from a, from an understanding my customer's standpoint, I felt like it was really important that I read books that were like breakout successes, right? If the, if these are the best selling books and that's what people are looking for and I should understand what that means. And I was just like, yep. 
this is a, this is a challenge. But again, my son, he isn't. He's about he he like I told you we go to the bookstore every Friday. Every Friday we go to the bookstore and he's ready for the next book in that series. He returns the first book, gets the second, return the second. Now he's got the third. We went from that bookstore to a coffee shop, uh, and he read like three chapters while we sat there. Like he's he's super into it. Yeah. So I mean, whatever. I <laughs> it, it, I I also. I never finished the Maze Runner series. I read the first two. I really enjoyed the first one. The second one was a mess. The third I picked up and was like, nope, I'm, I'm, nope. And like the first one I thought was really interesting. And then they got weird. The, the whole, it's always a challenge. It's always a challenge when the second book isn't good. Yeah. It's always a challenge when the second book isn't good because I, I feel like there's so many trilogies where you get this like really cool creative first book and the second book doesn't live up to it. And then the third book is fantastic. And like the, the, to me, the, like the canonical example of that. And I, I don't want to down denigrate any of these books in the series, but the Lord of the Rings. I thought you might say that the second book just isn't that good. It's not that interesting. It's just like the first book is fantastic. And the third book is fantastic. But I think that happens a lot where like, the first book is is building the world and it's creating all this stuff that's happening and it's setting up the story. And the second book is just moving things forward. And then the yes. third book is bringing it all together. And so it's, I think it's often the case that the second book isn't as good. And so oftentimes I read a first book and love it. And I read the second book and I don't. And then it's like, well, I'm, the third is probably better. And sometimes it's not. <laughs> and yeah, sometimes the... it's just like, oh, the author actually didn't know where they were going with this and what they were doing. And it's just all falling apart. Oh no, the, the third book in the Divergent series is the worst of the three and it's <laughs> not close. But I definitely understand what you mean. Just just from a storytelling perspective of you set up a lot of world building, you set up a conflict and whatnot in your first book. You introduce the characters. In the second book, you keep going with that. And then in the third book, you have a big climax and there's loss and there's victory and things along those lines. And yeah, it's it's second books are hard, but yeah, I, I definitely understand what you mean. But uh, we have harped on Divergent enough, <laughs> <laughs> but you have also harped on both Lord of the Rings briefly and Harry Potter. So your your uh, your Twitter might get some messages. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> good and i love lord of the rings by the way i it's this it's not even like the second book of lord of the rings isn't even bad it's just not as good as the. it's first just not as good you're right you are you are right that is true i yes i would agree with that it's it's still very good it's just it's not the masterpiece that the first and the third are i yeah exactly fair enough well uh, uh justin redler who asked another question earlier he wants you to give a sales pitch for why someone who has never played Adenu should join one. I'm going to put 90 seconds on the clock and I want your 90 second elevator pitch. Ready? Go. So Adenu, I mentioned before that when we created it, the, the vision was recreate a real GM's job, thinking about a 40 man roster, thinking about how you balance salaries, not being able to keep the best players because they're the best players, actually making sure your players are worth what you're paying them, things like that. I don't think there is anything else in fantasy baseball that creates that experience as well as Adenu does. And so 
if you want to do something that isn't just do a snake draft, build your team, but you actually want to think about building an organization, building, you know, dealing with the financials of baseball, nobody does it better. Was that less than 90 seconds? That was 38 seconds. Yeah, I thought it might be a lot less. <laughs> That's all right. Hey. It's good practice for first pitch. Well done, sir. That was that was everything it needed to be. Now, the last one I had here, we're going to go to a quick soccer corner or football. Yeah. Uh, Estavo Maximo, one of our supporters at on PL Plus, he, I guess you and he had discussed some soccer here and there, and he wants to know, where do you see Canada, Mexico, mm-hmm. and the U.S. in terms of readiness to take advantage of the boost that every nation which hosts the World Cup gets looking ahead to 2026. Yeah. So for those who don't know, 2026, the US, Canada, and Mexico are co-hosting the World Cup. There's going to be most of the games are in the US, but viewing Mexico, viewing Canada. Um, and there is always, I mean, it's like the Olympics or anything like that. Like the country is building up and getting excited for it. And it, it, it tends to help the soccer programs in those countries. Uh, when the US hosted in 94, it made a big difference in, in the growth of the sport. Um, these countries are in such different places right now and like mexico has dominated the region for so long and the last like 15 20 years the u.s has sort of caught them and now canada has caught them and mexico is like i mean the u.s just had a got a draw in mexico in world cup qualifying which you know it's a draw but like that's a challenge and the u.s was the better side in that game and nearly won the game and like that is not what mexico expects so like they need this as an opportunity to sort of rebuild their program. I think they need new, I think they need new coaching. I think they need new, some, some new blood on the field as well. Um, Canada, like if it hadn't been for COVID Canada, wouldn't be playing right now because <laughs> they were, they were all but eliminated from qualifying COVID interrupted qualifying schedule got reset and reshuffled so that the structure worked differently and gave them a second shot and now they are they are winning the region they're gonna they're gonna qual they are the the top team in CONCACAF at the moment and then for the u.s so so for them for canada like they have they have been an afterthought in soccer for years and this is like they're gonna go to the world cup this year they're gonna be able to build for the next four years and they have potential to build themselves into a legitimate not, not a power, I wouldn't say, right? They're not going to, you know, they're not Brazil or Germany, but like a legitimate contender in the in the world of soccer, particularly for the CONCACAF region. For the U.S., um, the U.S. has been running out a team of like 17 to 22-year-olds pretty regularly. Uh, and so I think for the U.S., like 2026 is going to be, like they'll make, they, they, they hopefully can make some noise at the World Cup this year. 2026, they should hit with the best, collection of talent in their prime that the u.s has ever had in the sport Uh, and so it is going to be a big big moment like you know i i don't i don't want to suggest that the u.s is in a position to win the 2026 world cup because they're they're probably not going to be that good uh but they will never be better positioned to make a deep deep run in the world cup than they will be that year playing on home soil with the best talent they've ever had and so I'm it's going to be super fun, but those teams all need to use it for different things. Like for Canada, it's like truly emerging for Mexico. It's like 
re-establishing themselves as a power in the sport. And for the U.S., it's like this is this is a moment to shine more than maybe any moment in U.S. soccer history. I love it. I have been doing my best to get into uh, Premier League over the past couple of years. It's a bit of a struggle for me. I've, I've played a bit of soccer when I was real young, but I've always enjoyed uh, the sport. So I'm I am getting more. Uh, acquainted with the soccer scene and I, I'm definitely trying to at least keep track of the qualifiers for the world yeah. cup that we're, that we're... it made a big difference for me when I moved to Seattle because the the sounders are like the sounders draw more fans than the mariners true um right they are they're super popular and so like as somebody like I grew up playing the sport I've always loved the sport but I've never, I never followed it closely except the U.S. national team. I would watch Premier League games occasionally, things like that, um, when I could. And then I came here, and like the first summer I was here, I was just here for the summer. And on, on game days, you would see people like streaming to the stadium, wearing their rave green and with their scarves and all this stuff. And I was like, this is kind of crazy. And I went to a game, and I was like, okay, this is this is awesome. And I had no cheering interest. So when I moved here, they were the they were the local team that I was like, like, okay, I'll, I'll support the Mariners because why not? But I'm I'm a Guardians fan. And like, you know, I'll support other teams here, but like I have my teams. I didn't have an MLS team. I had no ties. Like I'd lived in Chicago for a long time. I had never gone to a fire game. Sure. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna get behind the Sounders. And um it's they're just so much fun. They're such a well-run organization. The games are such a good time. And it's it's really uh, it's changed my relationship with the sport. That's awesome. You got to love it. Well, I think that's going to about do it for us. So, Chad, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Is there anything else you want to, any closing thoughts you have or anything you want to plug before we sign off here? I don't think so. We've been going for almost two hours. I'm out of things to say. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you you are uh, you are in uh, West or in uh, Seattle there, Pacific time. Uh, it is yeah. past one a.m. my time. Luckily, yeah, I man. took a nap when I got home from work. <laughs> Hopefully, you can sleep in tomorrow. That's the plan. Don't have to be anywhere until like noon, so it's going to be great. I'm recording Keeper Cut in nine hours. So. <laughs> <laughs> We live strange lives, folks. Well, we do. One more time, where can the people find you on Twitter? Yeah, you can find me uh, at Chad Young. You can also follow my podcast, Keep or Cut, at Keep or Cut. That's cut with a K. Keep or Cut with a K. So, yeah, follow the show. Follow me. Uh, reach out if you got questions. If you want to yell at me about books, I'm always happy to talk about books. So, let's talk. Very good. All righty, folks. Well, thank you much for sticking with us. Thank you, Chad, for coming on. And this has been On The List. Mm -hmm.